every decision I make, I question, I have questioned, or I hope to question if I haven't realized it already. If I can get a good product that people will see on YouTube and do half the work by not having to color correct or do any fancy titles on the thumbnails or just all of that stuff, why why do that extra work? <laughs> it gives me more time to go and make some other stuff. It just frees my mind to think and focus on the things that really matter. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Golden Hour Podcast brought to you by the Polar Pro Studio. I'm your host, Dave Mays, and today's guest is travel filmmaker Craig Adams. Craig got his start in wedding films and built a successful business called The Wedding Film School. He has since sold the company and had a huge shift in his life as he started a YouTube channel about filmmaking, minimalism, and camera gear. About a year ago, Craig did a hard pivot and stopped doing camera gear stuff and started making minimalist travel films. Gorgeous landscapes, beautiful edits, and fantastic locations. Craig really carved out a niche for himself and it is paying off for him big time. His channel has grown to over 500,000 subscribers and many of his videos have hit over a million views. One of the films he made in Iceland has over 4 million views. Craig has a very simple and minimalistic way of looking at life. I think many of you will find it very interesting to hear his perspective on things. I for one am a big fan and I'm thrilled to get to our interview but before I do I want to remind you about the Light Chaser Pro system for iPhone 12 from Polar Pro. This system is finally shipping soon and I am super excited to get my hands on one for the iPhone 12 Pro Max. The Light Chaser is a case that is also like a camera cage that adds filter mounts and the ability to add a grip, making it so much easier to use your phone as a real camera. In fact, Craig has told me that he looks forward to only shooting his travel films on an iPhone hopefully soon. And this kit from Polar Pro is the perfect accessory to add to your new device. So head over to polarpro.com to learn more about the Light Chaser Pro system. All right, without any further ado, let's listen in on my conversation with Craig. All right, so we're here today with my friend Craig Adams. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Golden Hour Podcast. Thank you for having me. That's the thing that you say after the intro, right? That's like the standard cookie. <laughs> like, thank you for having me. Yes, we were just talking about this prior to when I had this like really scripted intro. Uh, <laughs> how podcasts really just kind of start, and uh, I guess that's for me the way to actually begin it. Um, but our yeah friendship if you want to even call it that our acquaintanceship and hopefully will turn into friendship was meeting on a boat going from Catalina to back to Long Beach area when we did a product release party thing for the A6400 that was a fun project yeah Sony's been a great company because they just invite a bunch of us out there and just spoil <laughs> us that's yeah. what that trip was like just food interactions with other creators, just an, an awesome experience for us to just play with their new camera and then hang out with each other. So I miss I, it. We, I think I they canceled the last one, right? Yeah, there was the camera camp with Justine uh, last year and <clears throat> they obviously didn't do anything this year. Um, feels like an eternity ago since when I saw you last. One thing that stood out to me about you was you were wearing shorts and it was really cold that night on the boat going back. And uh, maybe it's just my California like way of life when things are like below 50 degrees, it's like freezing. So um, I, I remember I was like, oh, Craig is like hardcore. He's a New Yorker over there wearing shorts, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I feel like that's the thing. You'll always see some dude wearing shorts in the winter in New York City. It's like, how long can they wear shorts until they can't? It's almost, it, it's a challenge in a way. And I guess I fall into that category. I am that dude. <laughs> well, I discovered your content years ago when you were doing more of the kind of gear review type of content. Um, you were obviously into the Sony ecosystem. And I remember looking into some of the Zeiss lenses that were made for Sony mount. And at the time they were these really uh, weird, I don't remember, was it the baddest or was it something else? I don't remember, but yeah, baddest, did, Batiste. yeah something like that. Yeah. You, you did yeah. some reviews on these lenses and you were one of the few people that I I watched at all that did any reviews on these. And that's how I discovered your content. Uh, and then you, I started to kind of follow your journey into minimalism. And I, I know that 
that's been something of a passion of yours for years, but um, you started sharing about that on your uh, your channel, and it just was so interesting. And obviously, Matt Diavella and all that kind of stuff was happening around the same time as well. So just the interest of that was growing overall from a social standpoint. Um, and now here we are, you're doing these incredible travel films in this minimalist package, which you mentioned to you is like not interesting because it's just how you are. But uh, to other people, it comes across in this beautiful, you know, package. Um, I don't really know what to say, but like it's been a cool journey to to watch your transition and to to discover you years ago with the gear stuff. And now here you are doing, you know, stuff that I feel like you're probably more passionate about than ever. Yeah, things have changed since then. To narrow in on the gear, I don't really review gear anymore in the traditional sense. And I definitely wouldn't call myself a tech YouTuber when I might have done that a couple of years ago. The way that I review gear is just by using it and then sharing the things that I create with it. So some, some reviews will show if you get a new camera, like some sample footage, but then also talk about the specs, pros and cons, reasons why you might want to buy it, et cetera. I just skip all of that fat because it's never useful for me when I'm trying to figure out if I want something. I just like to see what's the best thing someone can create with that tool. And that is how I decide whether I buy it or not. Yeah. And I remember your S1H film uh, came out right when that camera was announced. Did you get that kind of early before the release and, and they work Panasonic work with you on that film? Yeah. Anytime I'm narrowing in on a camera, it's usually because I'm motivated and hired by a company like Panasonic to test out their Lumix products. I'm actually doing the same thing right now with the S5. It's pretty much a mirror copy of that campaign, but with two different YouTube videos. And it just, the work suffers. I, I don't know. You can have a good camera, but if you're not used to it, it's just yeah. not going to be as good. Like, I'm recording this on an A6600 right now, but if I took that out on a hike, I think that footage would blow the S5 out of the water, even though it's a big difference in features and specifications, I guess. So it's it's a balance of how much money I can make and let my product suffer. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a, it's a balance between those two, and I'm kind of burnt out on sponsorship and letting companies influence what I'm creating and how I create it. Life goes in waves. And right now I'm definitely at the point where I want to gain some control back over what mm -hmm. I create. Didn't you also have a wedding film business or something like that? I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> yes, I did. So that was definitely my start. My forte for foray for foray foray. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Into YouTube and realizing that social media can be a business if you treat it nicely. And since then, that wedding film school YouTube channel that taught people how to shoot weddings, I've sold to a Australian filmmaker mm -hmm. and closed that door, that entire chapter. You know, I've pretty much said my goodbyes to the wedding industry as a whole, and I'm pretty happy with that decision. Uh, same here, my friend. <laughs> I, uh, I started in the industry when I was 17 years old, uh, 2008, um, the 5D Mark II came out and we got those DSLRs. We were some of the only people in Nashville at the time that had DSLRs and it just took off like crazy. Ended up shooting over 300 weddings in my career and uh, it was a wild ride. It taught me a lot. Were there any valuable, I would, I would imagine there's a ton of valuable lessons you learned shooting weddings. Yeah. Shot hundreds of weddings, edited tons of weddings. I got to work with editors and crew working with clients, treating them well, learning about building trust and convincing people to say yes to spending thousands of dollars on a product, <laughs> marketing your, like everything, like yeah. shooting weddings taught me everything. Absolutely. I, I don't know about you, but I, after I kind of transitioned off of weddings and started doing more commercial projects and working in the more kind of traditional filmmaking route, I was so shocked at how slow people worked in the film world, you know, DPs and grip and gaff, and you have all these people involved. And I understand that, you know, there's a process and this is how union works and how things work in Hollywood. But it was so shocking to me that it's like, 
can you just put the light over here? Jeez, like, let's go. Come on. Like, what's going on here? Why does it have to be a five-person situation? Why does it take, like, an hour to get the lighting set up, you know? <laughs> yeah, I saw that in the traditional film industry, but I also saw it in weddings. I was getting frustrated at how long I took myself to shoot and edit these things. Sometimes it would take, like, three months to get a wedding out, fully edited, delivered. <laughs> That's quick, my friend. <laughs> I had one oh. that uh, I didn't get finished until, like, a year later because we were so backlogged. It was awful. Yeah. It doesn't have to be that way. And <laughs> It was mind-numbing. From weddings, I definitely adopted a zero-project policy where I try to not have anything going on as much as possible. Mm -hmm. And I always find my new project, my new direction, once I have absolutely nothing <laughs> so basically your philosophy is i what i'm currently working on is what i'm working on when that project is i guess in your case an upload that would mean that it's finished then you begin your next process it's not i mean i know that you use notes to keep track of ideas i mean i'm sure you're banking ideas right mm -hmm. Much less these days. Okay. I've just tried to streamline my process as much as possible. And yeah, focusing all my energy on one project at a time allows me to get it done quicker. Yeah. And I think when it's fresh in your mind, you can have more fun working on it. Yeah. And once it's delivered, I'll just completely move on to the next one. Yeah. <laughs> That's beautiful. Yeah, I can I can totally relate, man. It's like once if you're working on three things at one time, it's so easy to lose interest in things. And then when you go back to the one that you shot a month ago, after you've been working on other things, it's just like, ah, you know, I'm, I'm bored of this. I want to move on, you know? Um, yeah. It, it hurts my heart when I hear people who are just like holding on to footage and have the intention of editing something, but they almost never get to it. Whether it's like a, they went on a trip, shot mm. some footage and it's not the biggest priority, but the footage just sits there. I would say it sits in the back of your mind as well as just something that you haven't finished. And it's, it's a distraction at the end of the day, even if it's sitting on a hard drive, it's, it's in your mind. Absolutely. I've thought about that, that when you have these things, it's this idea of almost mental minimalist. Is that a thing? I mean, yeah, yep. <laughs> minimalism can extend to a lot of different aspects of your life, relationships, projects, just, what you're worried about um, day to day. Yeah. Financial does, minimalism, digital minimalism. <laughs> does the idea of, you know, quote, minimalism in of itself cause stress because you're just constantly like overthinking how to minimalize things? Or is that in of itself like the opposite of what minimalism actually is? Yeah, I do think about things a lot. And I think that's important when you're trying to regain control over your life, because I just use minimalism as a practice, as a tool, in a sense, just to be able to have dominion over my decisions, my environment, and my state of mind. If I'm feeling a certain way, I want to make sure that it's of my own design and not caused by anyone or anything else. And if it is, that's a a choke point in the, you know, automation of my happiness. I'm just trying to eliminate the distractions and make it as easy as possible to stay happy and productive. So about two years ago, roughly, or maybe even less, maybe a year and a half ago or ish, you kind of, at least it seemed as though you just made this transition to, I'm just going to make these beautiful uh, travel films and these, these minimalist relaxing films what spurred that for you what was that moment of like clarity for you that was like you know what I'm done with these tech and gear related videos yeah I was definitely making videos in New York City a few years ago just because I thought when you're in New York City it's fun to make really fun crazy Casey Neistat style style vlogs and when you travel you know, make vlogs like Sam Calder or I don't know, just all the different people that you see making stuff. So I was emulating the people who inspired me. And if you do that long enough, you start to hate everything. <laughs> you feel like a fraud. So I tried to figure out how could I do travel stuff because I really wanted to travel and experience new stuff and get away and see the world. And it was just too crazy in the cities. And I didn't know what to do because if you go to a new city like Bangkok, 
like, who are you to make, here's what you should do in Bangkok video. Like <laughs> yeah. you're an idiot. <laughs> so at least going out into nature, into the mountains where there are no people, it was kind of like a fresh start um, in a sense where I could just share my experience and it was a genuine wonder for me to just figure out hiking and being out there with not that much stuff was aligned with what I wanted to be doing. And yeah, just hiking for days on end was fascinating to me. And I watched other people making similar content and didn't want to distract and take away from just the visual and the peacefulness that I found when I was out there by myself. So that's where the silent hiking genre, I guess, was created for my stuff. Well, that's, I'm glad you brought that up because that is a point that I wanted to make is that the style and the edit and the way that you create these pieces is so serene. It's, you have little to no dialogue. The only dialogue that you may have is explaining maybe why, you know, what's happening if, if it's needed, but you have beautiful sound design. You have incredible music choice. Um, you know, how do you record the sound? Is that something you're, you're doing, you know, with a recorder? Is it in camera? Are you doing that in post with ADR? Same with music. Like you're constantly, I'm sure looking through incredible music selections and trying to find the perfect tune. I mean, it's, it's amazing what you've been able to, to do with the music and the ADR for these pieces. Yeah. There are a bunch of different ways anyone could go out there, capture and then edit and deliver a hiking film. Um, the sound design was super important. I, I'm glad you touched upon that because recording with a microphone, a shotgun on top, and then almost trying to record and edit the sound to be its own music is the goal. Any music that I use is because the sound design or what I was capturing out there is lacking. Uh, I use a lot of ambient, classical, soundtrack, minimal music, drone in a sense. I think that's like a genre drone. Yeah. Um, not drones uh, like the fly no, in the air, no, but not, like the sound of drones, yeah. no, it's like droning beats um, and rhythms, I guess. <laughs> but the, the sound shot, of shots wind. of Bang Bangkok with like just the whole yeah. time. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, sorry. I think I made one of those jokes when those quiet noise propellers came out for DJI and they made a big hoopla. Uh -huh. I think I just like recorded me flying in my, in my bedroom being like, it's so quiet. Just, <laughs> yeah. But the sound of the wind is almost the perfect minimal ambient music to accompany. And I like putting the footsteps in rustling of leaves. That's what I would like try to do. But if it just isn't compelling enough or, you know, I'll add music bed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Are you walking around with like a little handheld recorder getting audio as well? Or is it mostly just on camera with like a stereo mic or something? I'll usually just record the audio in line with the video. At least once or twice every hike though, I will, if I remember, try to record at least a minute long, quiet, no distracting brushes or movement, just so that I have a clean source of wind audio just to mm -hmm. put in different places if i need to do any doctoring well i noticed i uh because you're a twitch streamer now i looked on your twitch uh account right before our interview and i saw a, a brief glimpse of your final cut editing and um it looked like you cut all the audio out of your of your video clips and so i'm imagining you're just kind of piecing together the audio in post quite a bit yeah, it's not the best way to do editing, but I've been working with Final Cut for over 10 years, so I've gotten used to my own way of working with the Magnetic Timeline, and I detach all of my audio from the video clips just so I can see it, and mm. it just helps me think and analyze and do crossfades a yeah. little better. I but do the same. always make fun of me. <laughs> no, no, I uh, I do the same, and uh, we're actually interviewing uh, Hillier Smith. He's Logan Paul's editor um, next week. We're real excited about him. He's uh, incredible. YouTube. I mean, obviously, he's you know been the other half of Logan Paul, um, and he does the same thing because once you remove the audio from the track in Final Cut, you can start to like merge those two audio sources together, do your crossfade, and you can I don't know, you can detach the audio technically and do the same thing, and then 
and then collapse it. But I don't know. I, I still don't do that. I'm a Final Cut boy, by the way. So we yeah. speak the same language. I was on it day one. When did you get on Final Cut? I used Final Cut Express before oh, yeah. Final Cut Studio. <laughs> and then Final Cut Studio turned into Final Cut 7. Mm-hmm. And then they went to X. Yeah. So I was, yeah. I was, this was high school. This was probably 2007. Are we the same age? I'm 30. I'm 29, turning okay. 30 in a couple weeks. Congratulations. Welcome to uh, the 30s. How's it feel? How's it feel on, the, on the other side of the fence, my dude? Well, I have uh, a wife and two kids as well. So I feel a real sense of adulthood right now because I have uh, human beings relying on me. Uh, so the responsibility level has greatly increased. Um, somebody told me the other day that the thirties is like your twenties, except you have money. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, that's actually pretty cool. Like it's fairly accurate. I feel the same for the most part. Um, I've got a couple aches in my lower back from lifting my one-year-old up and down all the time. And, um, I had to go to physical therapy and he told me to lift with my knees, but you know, <laughs> other than that, everything's Dad fine. Things. Damn. Dad life. Totally. Yeah. Um, I'll probably get a dog before I venture into that realm, but yeah, <laughs> turning 30 is definitely a thing. And I think you're right there. For me, there are thresholds when it comes to income that just gives you more, opens more doors for you as far as what you can spend your time and focus on. What's important is changing for me. And I've made tremendous growth in the last year, two years. So I'm still optimistic that a lot's going to happen in like the next five years. Absolutely. So 2025, I guess, is like the next goalpost. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll, we'll see how I'm doing then. Yeah. When it comes to when it comes to finance, what are some of your practical things that you do with with your income and uh, the way that you organize that and the way that you you know do you invest? Do you do things like that um, that you could share with people that might be different than how other people might think about income? Yeah, I've tried to minimize and just simplify the income, how I analyze it and what I do as far as expenses. I'm on top of everything. You know, it's very important data that gives you a lot of rich information that can help you make better decisions about where you spend your time and your money and, and mm-hmm. what you can focus on and, and let other things kind of fall into auto uh, automation in a sense. Um, it's been weird as I learn as most people are these past couple of years, you know, how tech companies are influencing the world for better or for worse. Uh, And then to stop and realize that I'm pretty much working for Amazon and Google. Like those are my top two (laughs) or two of the three income sources that I have at the third being just third party sponsorship or affiliation with different companies so out of those three buckets, two of the big four tech companies are paying my paying my bills. So it doesn't feel too good, does it? <laughs> am I contributing to the things that I read about and learn about? I don't know. You know, so people have tried to tell me that Craig, you're just out there hiking and sharing beautiful nature stuff. But then again, it's like I'm an influencer. What is that going to look like to people in ten years? Am I going to mm-hmm. be like uh, people who might have? deforested or you know spilled oil in a sense as far as people comparing the negative influences of tech mm-hmm. with global warming so we'll see <laughs> no i think i don't know i you might be a little too hard on yourself because i do agree with what people may tell you and that is that you're bringing a a, a very serene and, and beautiful thing to the platform that <clears throat> that is definitely needed so you know, if you want to feel good about yourself, you can at least think about that. (laughs) There's already so much junk on the internet. I feel like you're adding a lot of peace and joy to people's lives with your films. So, yeah, I wonder what the value is compared to the escape. Um, you know, escape is good. That's a good point. Watching videos, music, um, TV shows, books, I guess is an escape from real life. And yeah, what value is a silent hiking film to people? I question that sometimes. (laughs) But yeah, maybe I'm too hard on myself. 
I think that's yeah, that's a big takeaway from this interview is uh, Craig is too hard on himself, uh, <laughs> as many of us are. Um, over 4 million views on your video in Iceland. Um, incredible film. I watched it before our interview here, and uh, it's titled Hiking 60 Miles Alone in Hornstrander, Iceland. Um, apologize if I'm crushing that works. title. Yeah, works. Um, in, a, in addition to that, in the last eight months, you've had two other films that have cracked a million. Congratulations, by the way, on the one that's only six months ago, um, go, getting up to 1.2. Um, you're clearly striking a chord with people. Um, I find it fascinating that your thumbnail design reflects your reflects you. It, the, that's something that really stands out to me that I love about about your, if you want to call it brand, I hate saying that, but I know that's what it is, is your brand, even the the color correction that you do or the lack thereof of it, it feels as if, I mean, even in our conversation right now, like I know you're using the default Sony profile because I can just tell, right? Um, so I love, <laughs> but the, that's like that in of itself is minimalist. Like you're not having to color grade it. You're not having to spend time with LUTs and like making this whatever quote cinematic look like your composition uh, of your thumbnails, the composition of every shot in of itself reflects your inner, I don't know, language. Um, it's really incredible. And is that intentional? Is it extremely intentional? Or again, is it just natural for you to do? Yeah, I am fascinated with automation in general. And what I'm constantly trying to look at is from A to B, can I get the same product at B by doing the process from those differently and better? I would say everyone can improve how they do everything. Every, like, <laughs> yeah. And to put it minimalism is all about just stopping to take the time to think and analyze, is this working? Is it not? Is there a better way? How, how can I dist eliminate distractions to just cut away bottlenecks and just automate and make the process much better if not automated. So yeah, uh, every decision I make, I question, I have questioned, or I hope to question if I haven't realized it already. Like if I can get a good product that people will see on YouTube and do half the work by not having to color correct or do any fancy titles on the thumbnails or just all of that stuff. Why, why do that extra work? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, if it gives me more time to go and make some other stuff, it just frees my mind to think and focus on the things that really matter. But I do see almost a science in that with the design of your thumbnails in particular one. If you're not looking along with me, as I'm saying this, I encourage you to go to Craig Adams YouTube channel and see what I'm talking about. Um, often it's a wide landscape with a subject, you know, in the foreground, uh, whether it's in the middle or off to the right or whatever. Um, it's just a really well thought out and clean aesthetic. And again, it just really reflects your pieces. Are these screen grabs from your films or are you taking pictures or what? Yeah. Most of these are screen grabs because I don't know about you. When I'm in video mode, it's hard for me to step back and switch into photo. So I yeah. rarely take photos. And if I do, it's almost always iPhone. Like I never <laughs> use my Sony camera. So many people have yelled at me. They're like, why are you uploading these iPhone photos? You have a Sony camera in hand. It's like, oh, I just don't do well, that. I can tell you why, because you'd have to import the, the pictures into Lightroom. You'd have to edit them and then export. Dude, getting rid of Photoshop was the best thing I did this year or last <laughs> year. Oh, man. I do all of my photo editing and manipulation on my phone. It's so much easier. It's so great. Do you pay for yeah. any type of Creative Cloud subscription? No. And Heck it was yeah. a win in my book because I've been doing that for years, even though it's Final Cut. I was using that Photoshop for everything. but Yeah. There's yeah. there's great options out there now. Pixelmator is a good one. Um, what's the other one uh, that's really popular? I forget. It starts with an A. Affinity. Affinity, Affinity. Photo as well. Uh, really good. <laughs> but even just Apple Photos now supports RAW, and so you can actually adjust RAW settings. And yeah, stuff, just so. shoot JPEGs just because it's just quicker and easier. And if totally. you try to shoot it the way it should look in camera, I think it's usually better at the end of the day. But Absolutely. This is something we both agree on. I am notorious for shooting in camera. I love shooting in camera. I hate 
dealing with log and all of that. Even when I'm using an Atomos recorder, I bake it in because it's like, well, why are you baking it in? That's the point is to get more bit rate so that you can edit the log. It's like, or you could bake it in and get it right in camera and you get a ton of incredible color data in that baked in image that looks perfect and you don't have to color grade or do anything. And it's yeah. Like, and there, yeah. there, there's definitely a difference between being stubborn and just doing things your way. It's good. You can learn a lot from analyzing the way other people do what they do, but you know, you, at the end of the day, <laughs> you have to look at your own process and what works for you because not everyone is the same. Like I learn differently. I listen differently. I create my mind works differently than other people. So People need to stop telling me what to do. I'm going to do my own way. <laughs> uh, I'm curious, just as a YouTuber myself, on your, I would imagine that the reason why these videos are popping off is your watch time and you know retention and whatnot is through the roof. Are you seeing those analytics and that those data points on these films and that people are just really just staying there, maybe even playing these films in the background just to relax themselves? What are you seeing with your films that are people are using them for? Yeah. So if you think about the idea, the idea of a hike that takes five days to do, literally hiking, that would be the play, the theater version. If I somehow had a single camera showing the entire hike, people would probably not want to watch the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> so any any editing that you do along that spectrum is fair game. You could shoot it and export and, and distribute anywhere along. You could do one minute, you could do 10 minute, you could do a three hour of the five day. Um, I was surprised at my expectation of what people would sit and tolerate. Yeah. <laughs> Length wise and pace wise. Uh, I thought I'm a weirdo. I like slow, silent movies, like No Country for Old Men, There Will Be Blood or like my top, you know, top 10. And I, yeah, the reception that I got from Hornstrandir, especially when most of that is like wind sound, me walking, B-roll of just green hills and stuff uh, was surprising. So then that gave me more confidence to keep doing long form, slower pace. And then, you know, not doing any music was a test that I did. Some people liked it. I think more people just, it wasn't their vibe. Obviously it's a smaller section of people who might enjoy that content, uh, but yeah, um, I'm, I'm kind of still chill with doing the relaxing, slow paced, long form. It would be hard for me to do what's up, YouTube, TikTok stuff. So, yeah. well, that's the, the thing that's great. And the thing that I'm learning about, uh, YouTube is that you just got to get straight to the point and stop like having these dumb intros and, uh, these animated graphics. And I think that might be a little bit of your secret sauce that may, I don't know if you're aware of it, but like that Iceland video, you hit play and within 20 seconds, you're in Iceland. You see the process of you getting on a plane and traveling. And then within 50 seconds, you're there. No, not even uh, within 45 seconds, you're in this gorgeous field. But so even then I questioned that, like... But you've hooked them in. At that point, they... Why couldn't I just start at that green shot? Oh, Because okay, that green yeah. shot, when the first mile title comes off, even doing mile title, like, this was so early. This is one of the first hikes that I did and shot in this format. So I even questioned what would this video have looked like. I wish I could have done an A-B test where I just started yeah. right at that day one green shot. I don't know. I think, I think that is a good storytelling element, though. <clears throat> I don't know. Yeah. I'm looking at... So, like... What what would be one that I could look at that you've learned from then that you, you're even cutting that out is uh, like the Alaska one that's yeah. got a million. I mean, yeah, that starts so, out with a drone shot within yeah. 20 seconds. You're still not walking. It's just drone shots until 50 seconds or so. So right? let me tell you some of the, um, the tests. Yeah, I mean, done. it's just interesting. I've. I've learned like Mr. Beast is somebody that I think everybody can learn from. And even though his content is for children and it's totally like, I feel like Craig Adams and Mr. Beast are complete polar opposite creators on YouTube, but there's something to learn in that he just gets straight to the point and delivers the title and thumbnail within 15 seconds. So the title is last to remove hand wins a million dollars, right? You click the, you click the video within six seconds. He sets up the premise. He shows the money. He shows the characters and we begin. And within maybe even 30 seconds, somebody's already eliminated. And then he 
once he like captures that initial audience that are like, oh shoot, he's serious. He actually is giving this away. Then you can start to let the storytelling happen. Then you can start to slow down the pace a bit and let the video breathe. Um, and that's what I'm seeing here with your Alaska one that I think that may be your secret sauce is that you have the travel to Iceland within 15 seconds. And then at that 40 second point, you have, you know, the green field. So I think, I think it actually worked obviously pretty well for you. I mean, it's your top video by six times. So, (laughs) yeah, I think it makes sense to have the video summed up within 10 seconds as the intro, like you're saying, the characters, the stakes, the outcome in a sense, or just starting the process. Yeah. And the title um, cards are good too because you have you have a destination you have a you know this mile mark this mile mark so it it hooks people in to want to see that through it's just a natural thing that humans want is to see that story progress. Yeah, I'm always struggling with the balance between trying to get people to watch as much as possible versus me just shooting what I think <laughs> I want to yeah. shoot and edit it the way. I usually make things so that it's what I want to see and. I would get bored at this part and I get that feeling, especially when I do my last pass after I think I'm done editing, I always do just one more watch on full screen and you can just feel it like, Oh, I'm a little bored right here. So cut that. (laughs) Boom. Um, That takes a lot of time to hone that and to be self aware enough to cut something that may have even took, you know, some serious time to create. Um, yeah, you know, I've learned to be patient with that though, because there are some older videos that are baked into my channel, exported, uh, uploaded, where there is a mistake or there's just a moment that I hate, and I just let it slip. And now I just every time I watch that video, I hate that moment. I hate that. I would have. I wish I spent just one extra minute before exporting, because now it's forever. It's yeah. right there. <laughs> <laughs> if it's a hard cut, I guess you could trim it with the YouTube editor. Have you ever done that? Um, does it come like smush it? Uh-huh. Yeah, you can cut things out um, if it's just a hard cut. I did not know that. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, you go so, into the YouTube studio, you go to the editor tab, and you can trim. You can add blurs to things. You can um, add music. You can... Um, Trim things I know the out. blur, but I didn't know you could actually affect the duration of the video. Yeah, yeah. Technically, videos could always get smaller; can never get larger. <laughs> exactly. Well, it, I think they save. They always have the original file on file. So if you were to revert, it, it can go back. For some dang reason, they won't do a, pr- a password uh, like Vimeo. That's the one thing I wish they would do. Is just like. Uh, an unlisted or like a private video with a password attached so I could send that out to clients or, or something so if it's private you can't you can't add someone to a list with an email yeah I've that's, tried that I think you can but that's I don't know that's too that's too much work I just want to send them a link and say you know cat hmm. is the password but um yeah. fra- frame I've, I've always felt the unlisted works for that though because you it know, does. they're probably not going to share the link but you want password yeah, yeah, password, yeah, yeah. Maybe I could embed uh, it to a website with a password or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. on your links, uh, your social links on your YouTube channel, the only link that's there right now is Twitch. What's going on with Twitch? I just oh, looked at the top up- there. Yeah, the only one that's not hidden. Yeah. I guess on the about page, there's a bunch more, but. Oh, okay. What's going on with Twitch? Are you experimenting with that, playing with, with Twitch? I saw you you did a podcast interview. You've been gaming as well. I didn't know minimalists uh, can game. <laughs> <laughs> no, half, half my life is spent uh, in front of a screen, whether it's playing games, talking with people, getting work done, consuming, watching stuff myself. So it's really fun to be able to share that and interact with my audience uh, in such a rich way. It's really cool to have that one-on-one instant connection. And I was always a fan of podcasts and eventually started doing more solo updates just to update people on my thoughts, my what's happening currently, analyzing what I previously uploaded or worked on. And I think Twitch is just the best way to do that for me right now. So right now I'm just pushing everything to Twitch because my other social media channels are just buzzing and working as they usually do. Definitely over the threshold of having to put a lot of work into those to make them work. They're just, they've, they've 
they're like my children and my YouTube channel especially has like uh, gone off to college. So um, <laughs> I got an empty nest. So I just adopted Twitch into my family. Well, I noticed you replied to Sarah Dietschy the other day on Twitter and I followed you and sent you a message to be on this podcast. And I was like, and I looked at when your Twitter was created, it was tr- created like a month ago or something. Like what's the deal where you, I thought you were on Twitter and then did you delete yeah. it? Yeah, that was about two years ago, maybe three years ago. Yeah, yeah, and I had at Craig Adams, and now I'm trying to get that back. Oh, that's annoying. Um, I, d- I went through that as well. <laughs> yeah, I deleted my Instagram earlier this year in March as well, and now that's back. So, um, just a yeah, cleanse. It's, it's it's been a struggle for me to figure out how I want to distribute what I create and how, um, I, I, I've probably got rid of things too much in a sense. So now I'm just bouncing back a little bit and you know, that bounce is like slowing down to where I should be. And that probably involves having Twitter, <laughs> <laughs> but I like Twitter. I would imagine me too. It's, it's the best uh, way to communicate to other creators, to, to your, your followers. Just, I love text. It's just simple. It's clean. I don't have to worry about a picture it just, share a thought, share an opinion and, uh, let it, let it ride. Um, but I would imagine that part of, again, your lifestyle is also digital minimalism. That was one of your popular videos that I saw, um, back in the day. And I think you've done kind of updates on that along the way. Can you share a little bit about digital minimalism? Cause I think that's something a lot of us are struggling with as we become more addicted to our devices. Yeah, I would say it's my theory of minimalism and constantly analyzing the efficiency of every process that you have, whether it's work or play, uh, applied to your online accounts. So I guess trying to have the fewest amount uh, organized so that you don't have like missing passwords and whatnot, Uh, using the least amount of social media and trying to get the maximum amount of value out of the things that you give your time and attention to. And then also just the tools that you use as far as video editing, photo, music, just all the apps in your digital space. Try to get the most value out of the least amount uh, that you need to have a good, happy, productive life. Absolutely. Sometimes that means deleting the app, maybe not deleting the account, but just getting it off of your phone. What are, what are some of the tactics for, for your phone that you do? Are, are there any like rules for you with your phone? Yeah, I've turned off all the notifications and I've muted everyone on Instagram so that I don't consume without intention. Uh, so if I want to see an update on someone or you know what they've been up to, I can go to it and it's not just popping up and then I go do it because it popped up. I have to make the decision to go do that. I, I try to do that with everything, um, social media wise, as much as I can make the decision instead of having them make it for me. But then as we learned, <laughs> there, are, there are lots of sneaky ways to do it. <laughs> They're very sneaky indeed. Yes. Yes. Um, um, Nathan Luke on Twitter actually asked a question. I posted a, a quick AMA uh, just minutes before our interview. And uh, I think it's a good question. Um, he he just asked, is there one piece of travel that you just couldn't live without? You know, for example, a warm jumper, those fluffy socks, or a teddy called Snuggles. This guy sounds like he's probably from the UK. Yep, he is. <laughs> one <laughs> because, piece of travel gear that I can't live without? Yeah, what's one thing you own you travel with like that you thing. couldn't live without? Oh, okay. Um, a warm I jumper. Everything I have. Like if I didn't use it, I wouldn't have it. So it's kind of a silly question to me. So the question is, what are the items you have then? <laughs> yeah, I used to have a gear page that I would update with a grid image, uh, an image grid of all the items that I would, I have with links. But yeah, as but, you can see, there's not much in my room right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's I moved uh, into this apartment in the Lower East Side with just a backpack and a duffel. And nice. I moved in instantly. So uh, I don't have that many things. All the tools <laughs> are have their own reason. 
Um, well, tell me about that then. Your duffel. What what are what are those essential things? I would assume it's a couple pairs of like one or two pairs of shirts, pants, underwear, toothbrush. Yeah. You know, <laughs> the plan starting in January was to live out of a backpack and travel nonstop, making YouTube videos, hiking. And I started it out of the gate with a failed attempt at summiting Kilimanjaro. (laughs) (laughs) Almost died. And then I went to the Himalayas, Nepal. And then I went to Hong Kong, Chile. So I was off to a great start. And then something happened, you know, (laughs) pandemic, something like that. Couldn't travel anymore. I had to change up my plan. And I got the duffel because... I could afford to have a duffel to have some extra clothes. And then the hiking gear was also in addition to the camera gear that I had before. So duffel and backpack was pretty good. I could make it work, but then not able to travel as much. There was a big hit with sponsors. So it was just like different uh, come around April. And then I kind of escaped back to New York city, got this apartment and the winter's coming. So I have, recently since then gotten more stuff than just a backpack and a duffel. I don't think I could fit my Twitch streaming desk here in any kind of backpack. Uh, That's true. (laughs) Yeah. I'm pretty happy here. I'm just going to try to survive the winter and creep through the screen and maybe occasionally take hiking trips, but we'll see. Stored up some, uh, some acorns (laughs) for the winter. Soylent. Yeah. Um, so let's see what else so, uh so, I'm, so you this is like what episode 90 or something yeah i think so 91 actually i believe i yeah. don't know i don't how know. long is that has that been years of recording or do you actually treat this like an actual job and and do it with a schedule that's pretty current and quick <laughs> yeah i uh i work with polar pro this is actually sponsored and you know paid for by polar pro so this is a job uh it's every week i post a, uh, you know one every week so if there's 90 you can you know multiply or divide that by a number of weeks in the year so it started about you know two years ago um yeah it's great and i like having that <clears throat> that hard you know deadline of every single tuesday we post a podcast and uh, we haven't missed uh you know a week yet um i think there were two episodes where i did like a highlight during the holidays because i didn't have any guests lined up but thanks to you and some other guests that we've had in these last two weeks i've stockpiled for december and january so i can take some time off with my family so i appreciate yeah acorns exactly (laughs) i recognize a lot of the names in the list so that's pretty cool i was on probably episode 70 of my own podcast which i deleted when I deleted my Instagram earlier this year. And I went through the difficult work of actually scouring it from the internet because a lot of websites just re-uploaded and recasted those files because I was very curious to know what is the value of an episode that was recorded like an old episode. You know, how, how much, how often do people go back and listen to like your fifth episode (laughs) your seventh versus your 80th you know yeah it's interesting i think when we a podcast like this where we are talking about a lot of kind of topical things that are relevant now you know where you are now with your channel and things like that i think probably the numbers are low um, but that's where I've already had some return guests. You mentioned you listened to Sidney Deongson's episode. He was one of the early uh, interviews I did. Um, so I like the fact that now I'm able to circle back and I've had a handful of people on for a second time. And it's, you know, now that the show's two and a half years old, uh, I can talk to people I talked to two years ago and be like, hey, a lot's changed. Let's talk about it, you know? Yeah, so I would assume with audio podcasts, almost all of your audience and viewership comes from opt-in subscription. So people clicking a button because they want to be delivered the episodes and consume it. Whereas YouTube is such a different beast. The algorithm is insane. (laughs) Looking at my channel analytics, 80% of my views are recommended by the YouTube algorithm. That's good. So that's why I tend to push content to YouTube Mm -hmm. because clips do well because people who didn't intend on finding it or people who didn't go out and search for it will find it if it's good. That's a really good point. Polar Pro should pay me more to do that. (laughs) Yeah, 
double, triple this man's salary. We're going to. <laughs> I'm happy to do that. It's just not part of my contract. So yeah, yeah. I already have a full time job with Indie Mogul, and uh, you know, I'm trying to make that uh, the biggest you know filmmaking channel on the platform. So that's my, that's my goal there. <laughs> that's a good goal. Yeah. My goal uh, right now is just to focus on Twitch because, like I said, it's a new thing. It's kind of exciting to start when no one cares. <laughs> and, you know, I can pull levers and try to shift attention from places that already get attention to help out this new endeavor. But, mm-hmm. yeah, it's exciting to, like, have to try yeah. <laughs> to make it work. Oh, you have it so rough, Craig. It's just so easy it's- for you. you- <laughs> no, no, I understand. I understand. I'm actually in the same boat. I, I think... I'm actually shocked how similar we are. I'm not a minimalist uh, at all, but I do think, I feel like we have a similar thought process and uh, we're, you know, both more entrepreneurial, you know, people. So I'm constantly thinking of other things. I'm actually in the process of um, developing a new channel that's not even related to filmmaking whatsoever. So that's been something that I've been very excited about. And um, even though it would make sense that like when I got hired to work for Indie Mogul, you know, channel that's been around for 12 years, over a million subscribers, you know, I've got editors, shooters, you know, a, a production studio. And Ted is basically like, hey, Dave, do whatever you want people would say, oh, that's like a dream job. And it totally is. I'm extremely thankful. But when I came here, I felt it felt so strange that I was so unsatisfied with myself and with my job because I lost control. I lost a lot of control because even though, you know, I've been given a lot of opportunity here, um, there's a boss, there's people that are relying on me to deliver something that is that, you know, we're supposed to do four, six videos a week, uh, a month. And so I have to deliver that, you know? And so my mind just kind of started going crazy and I started just developing this new concept. And so now I have an outlet that I'm able to do something else. It do- it doesn't make any sense that like, I don't have the time to do it, but I have to do it because as a creative I felt kind of like I needed an outlet to to create with no restrictions, with no nobody telling me how it needs to be done. And I see when you're dealing with sponsorships, when you're dealing with the Panasonic video, you know, you <laughs> you want to use your Sony camera, right? Like, but but it's a sponsorship. It makes sense, you know, for them. It's going to help them, you know. Um, that's the kind of struggle that I guess artists deal with. I don't know. Yeah, because the best kind of channel is one where no one is helping me to make the decisions at all. Mm-hmm. And I'm only delegating out those decisions because I can make money by doing that. Or, you know, it's asking for advice on what I should make from the community mm-hmm. or letting the feedback from when I do upload affect what I make in the future. So the feedback and the money are probably the two things that limit my ability to express myself on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And it's a balance of switching, you know, changing that slider to allow myself to make more, make less, letting the people who are giving me feedback affect what I do or not. I could just never look at another comment. I could never respond to another email or message from people, not even look at the views per se, or let it affect me if I do see it and just create what I want to create. And then I could also say no to every single sponsorship that comes my way and uh, not do it for the money and just make it because I want to make it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's it's a balance. Uh, that, that perfect YouTube channel or that perfect form of expression is a little too hard to attain. <laughs> it's true. Money. I don't know. You have to make an income, right? I um, In my conversation with Maddie, I was talking about this balance of art and, uh, <clears throat> and YouTube, and he kind of cut me off in that rant I was doing and he said YouTube isn't an art it's a science and he's like I don't see what I do as art I see it as science and everything that I'm doing is based around an algorithm and based on how to you know grow and how to do this and that ABC that's so silly no Matt I die I I'll fight you on that let's fight let's go full boxing let's just not use words and just go straight Logan Paul right <laughs> I think uh What he's trying to say, though, too, is that when you look at the data and the analytics and stuff, and when you look at, again, Mr. Beast, he's just trying to optimize every single second of his videos to... It's like this game that we're playing on YouTube to trigger all those boxes. So growth is the goal, then. 
I, I wouldn't say growth is my goal. Yeah. So just different measures of success, I guess. Absolutely. And that's, yeah. uh, that's the beauty of uh, the internet, right? You got everybody on it. <laughs> everybody. Lots of different ways to do it. A lot of different voices. Um, so Twitch is kind of your, your baby right now. It's your exciting, uh, your exciting new venture. Yeah, it would be really fun just to go live and chat with the community and be able to, I've never seen a platform make it so easy to know who your number one fans are, mm-hmm. uh, to be able to rank the level of support you get from people over time. Like someone who subs to you for nine months, it's just right there. You know, there's no way to fake that from other mm-hmm. people. So what do you talk? I don't use Twitch. What are you talking about? <laughs> so you can follow people. Well, you can just watch Twitch content as a viewer. Mm-hmm. The next level up from that is to follow. So that means you get updates when they go live and it puts you into a smaller bucket as a viewer. And then the level up from that, I guess, would be like a tier one sub, which costs $5 a month, I think. And that just gives you a membership for one month, 30 days or whatever. And that puts you into a smaller bucket. So I can see who, who's in these buckets and where they've moved throughout their entire uh, relationship with watching my content. And there's really easy ways for me to get alerts to see when people make these decisions and pledge their support. And then there's commenting and rating. So that's, there's, it just makes it really easy to know who cares how much and how long they've cared. It's built into the platform and that's part of the way the platform works. It's not this added thing like the join button on YouTube where it's like, I, you know, I don't, I'm sorry to say, but I don't, I didn't join anybody's channel. I follow a lot of great people that I know are doing the join, you know, the membership on YouTube, but it's just not part of the language of YouTube. It's just kind of there. Have you had any success with that? And I noticed that you have that enabled on your account. Yeah, it's been a a great experiment. I've tried it in a different couple of ways, but I realized the best is just to almost give nearly zero expectations of them joining and then just see how many people legitimately just want to support you, even though they barely get anything in return, because then you can always go up from there. Mm-hmm. And make make that relationship, those rewards for those people a bit more complicated. So I think $10 a month is my membership program. And that's grown, you know, every month um, over like 250 people with that program. It's amazing. And yeah, uh, I think the the program is pretty similar in theory to Twitch's program, but mm-hmm. Twitch just gives so much more power to reward those people across the spectrum rather than yes they subscribe no yes they're a member no so <laughs> i'm excited to just do more twitch because yeah i think it's almost more fun than youtube for me and it's going to be a, a strange focus once uh i can start to hike again but yeah how are you gonna uh, yeah, this winter that- i'm just gonna be on twitch <laughs> I mean, that would be very cool if you were able to have some sort of solid connection and do a a hike Twitch. I mean, that'd be sick. Oh, I wouldn't do a hike Twitch. I'm just saying. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I'm going to be doing a lot of Twitch this winter just because it's more fun to me. And the, there's definitely a threshold when it comes to Twitch where you don't feel subconscious or self-conscious about video game, like being a gamer playing in front of people because it's traditionally something that you do in private and you don't share yeah. that you're playing because some people might be embarrassed about how much they play or what they play or how they how bad they play it. <laughs> um, so it's, it's, a pra- it's a muscle that I'm going to have to practice just being okay with doing that because the people who watch will watch and the people who don't, I don't have to worry about those people. So. <laughs> I love it. There's I- a lot to it. I'm really excited. I'm like three weeks into it. And it's here to stay. I'm so excited because it's a challenge. Like it's causing me to think mm-hmm. like, do what, should I bring back the podcast? Should I start interviewing people live on Twitch? And then just challenging them to games once we get that established. And just, like, how can I just harness all of these already successful skills and yeah. email lists that I've created yeah. just to make this thing work? Do you have a habit of, 
kind of finding things like this, I just sense the passion and the excitement you have about this. Is this what happened for you with the wedding film course? Is this what happened for you with your gear review channel? Is this what happened when you transitioned to doing travel and had success? Do you kind of just have these moments of passion and excitement? And then after six months, a year, you (laughs) move on to something else. Is that a, is that a repetitive? I'm saying that because I do that myself. So, yeah, yeah. I would say that's definitely a pattern, uh, that, I do time and time again. Um, it's a good, yeah. it's a good thing, and I think it's important to be self-aware of it and to realize, you know, you know, <laughs> that it is a pattern. But yeah, it's if, something. If a that... lot of my friends that make fun of me took bets on whether I'll have a Twitch channel in like three months. A couple uh-huh. of them would probably put a couple, you know, hundred dollars on the fact that I might get rid of it because I've done that in the past. <laughs> okay. And all I can say is that it's this time's different. Yeah. I've said that before. <laughs> so how much do people trust my word? And honestly, it just raises the stakes and the potential rewards for anyone willing to invest uh, on watching my channel and totally. starting to become the people who I recognize and see as day oneers. Absolutely. Well, I think that's a great way to uh, end our conversation. There's plenty more to talk about and we'll have to have you on maybe a year from now as a return guest and see how Twitch is going, see how the films are going. Hopefully this darn pandemic will be over by then and we can start traveling again. Um, thank you, Craig, so much for being on. It was a real yeah. pleasure. I love chatting and I'm getting excited and you're making me more passionate about this. Not only just to prove you wrong and anyone listening that I still have the Twitch going. So it's Mm. all good things, brother. Thank you for having me. Awesome. I hope you guys enjoyed my interview with Craig Adams. I want to let you guys know that I just started a YouTube channel for the Golden Hour Podcast. So go subscribe to it. Just search Golden Hour Podcast. And I think I put hosted by Dave Mays in there. You can find my interview with Craig. Now, a little disclaimer, this channel is really just a Zoom call uh, uploaded. I'm not going to be doing any crazy edits. I am not even adding really any B-roll to this. Maybe this will change over time, but I do think there's value to add by just having a YouTube channel there for people who want to consume the podcast on the YouTube platform. I think as humans, it's important to see body language when people talk. So watching the video actually might be more entertaining for some of you. And I know a lot of you are editors and creators, so you can actually have the YouTube video playing on the side as you're doing other things. So I'm not gonna be doing anything crazy with the editing on that, but hopefully you guys will enjoy that channel. So go over to youtube.com and subscribe if you wanna see that. Once again, I'd like to thank you guys for listening every single week to the Golden Hour Podcast. I'm your host, Dave May here at the Polar Pro Studio, and we'll see you next week.